Hi, I'm Tom Woods, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm your host, Doug Stewart, and I have another podcast host with us today, Stephen from the Anarcho-Christian Podcast, a wonderful podcast that I bet a lot of you listeners of this podcast listen to. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. So... I thought it would be really cool to just have a conversation with another libertarian Christian and another person who sees the world, you know, the way we do. And just, I think we often fail to realize that people have stories and it sometimes takes people a long time to get to their views. Sometimes it takes not so long, depending on what they are and what kind of convinces them. But we all have stories, and I wanted you to come on to tell us your story, and we're going to kind of have a conversation. We'll share each other's stories. That way your listeners can hear on your podcast if they're interested in the Libertarian Christian podcast. Maybe they don't even know about us. Be a good kind of back and forth conversation and just kind of get to know each other and how we became libertarian slash anarchists. I guess we'll, we'll get that more defined as we, <laughs> as we have this conversation. So the way that I always ask people this question is, have you always been a libertarian? And if you weren't always a libertarian, when did you become one? Yeah. Um, that is a good question. And, uh, unfortunately I have not always been a libertarian. I've grew up, I guess as far back as I can remember actually having an opinion on things, uh, it was very neocon, uh, very Republican, right-wing, that sort of thing, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners probably come from the same background. But as far as what, you know, really kind of swayed me out of that would be just looking at the state of things in in the neocon and, you know, right-wing you know, propaganda groups like Fox News and things like that. And then just kind of starting to evaluate that against, you know, things that we hold as morals and our Christian morals. And then also just the rhetoric, kind of comparing the rhetoric that we say to what we actually believe and what we would actually act on. You know, coming from that right-wing perspective, um, a big term is a constitutionalist. So, of course, I considered myself a constitutionalist. And then when you start looking at some of the things that happen politically and comparing that to your beliefs, when you're honest about it, it becomes very hard to continue to back those actions from politicians or the president. You know, we have even recent examples of that going on right now where, you know, you have people approving of things that the president has done and then others saying well look this isn't constitutional and kind of this fight back and forth and i'd say you know you know the the joke about um converting from a libertarian to an anarchist is you know six weeks right or six months and (laughs) and uh so it's very similar to that once i started going down that route from the constitutionalist i became a you know a libertarian you know i guess maybe a big L libertarian at that point. But just the transition at that point was very quick. 
and just moved right into what I would consider libertarianism, you know, fully recognized and, and that is anarchism, which I know is a scary word. And maybe some of the listeners um, aren't aware of, I guess, that understanding of, of anarchism being the, um, being the, the fully realized understanding of like, small L libertarianism, mm-hmm. but it's a good conversation to have. And like you said, with sharing stories and things like that, most of this stuff comes off kind of scary at first, uh, you know, with the way that terms are thrown around and on social media and stuff like that with anarchism and what we kind of assume that it means. Yeah. And, uh, but once you start having those conversations and those stories and, and getting into, you know, philosophical concepts that are all kind of within that idea, I think it comes off a little bit better. Yeah. Well, you know, just you saying that those were, those terms could be scary for people. It made me think about this as with my journey. I hadn't really thought about it until just a few moments ago. I don't think those terms ever really scared me because I didn't really care. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't care what terms it was. I sought out to find a way to, how do I guess answer the question, how is my faith expressed politically? If, if it should be at all. And it could be, you know, sort of like the Anabaptist, um, you know, stay away kind of, uh, I can't think of the word right now, but the uh, be absent of politics. It could be that, you know, I've, I've dabbled in that, you know, from time to time, but the question, you know, how's my faith expressed politically? I was just looking for the truth. I didn't really notice the labels per se until I was a little bit further along and realized that, oh, that's what this is called. So those words get thrown around and, you know, I think people think of anarchy as like synonymous with chaos. And, and I think, you mm-hmm. know, link the dictionary term, I'm sure they're in the, or the thesaurus, I'm sure they're connected, but, you know, in terms of, you know, what we call anarcho-capitalism is, you know, we, we don't mean disorder. So I, you know, I think our, most of our listeners are familiar with that. From being a constitutionalist, how did you make the jump between that or the transition from that to a libertarian? Because I think a lot of people who would call themselves constitutionalists would call themselves libertarians. I, I mean, I would probably put Glenn Beck in that category. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like they're not even, you know, we forgetting that anarchism is possibly the like full expression of libertarianism can apply to every single place. But I think a lot of people think that of constitutionalism. It's like, oh, well, this is a type of libertarianism too. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And you will see, um, I think Glenn Beck even used that term and it is actually kind of humorous. Uh, You know, we're coming into the the next election season, right? And um, something that will be funny is watching Glenn kind of jump back and forth. You know, he did it last time. He's done it before where he's, He's going to jump back and forth between this raw, raw, you know, Republican patriot sort of guy and then this libertarian who just wants to leave people alone. And, you know, maybe it is a morally conflicting idea, but, you know, maybe we should leave them alone. It, it just you'll yeah. see him go back and forth with that. And, yeah. you know, and even with libertarianism, there's a lot of um, baggage that comes with that term, too, you know, like anarchy. But do you, do you ever do you ever feel like just abandoning all labels? Like, do you just ever want to give them up because of the baggage? You know, I guess not, because labels are important. You know, we're, we're communicating, right? We have language and sometimes we do have to kind of fix our definitions. But I mean, 
right now we've been talking for a few minutes and can you imagine if we started this whole thing out and I had to give you the entire list of every <laughs> position that I held yeah. on every yeah. single nuance, you know? And so I can, I can wrap all those things up into anarchism. And now right, I might have right. to fix the definition of, of how you or the listener understands anarchism, but I think that's probably going to be a little bit shorter of a discussion than going through every single nuance of, of what I believe in every situation. And, yeah. you know, and then the conversation ends up being, well, what about this part? And what about that part? And, you know, and then we can kind of attack those things as they come. And, and we'll be losing listeners along the way if we just keep <laughs> diving into semantic. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, cause that's the thing. It's like, I, I think it was Tom Woods who said something along the lines of like, what was it? It had to do with like if Ron Paul and Glenn Beck are both considered libertarian, uh, I heard this years ago, then that word has no meaning, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I mean, that, yeah. you know, ironically, it's because of Glenn Beck that I got into Ron Paul at all. Um, sure. And and eventually into like the Mises Institute, uh, the Austrian school, you know, way of thinking. So thanks to Glenn Beck, I'm a libertarian, like a real one, mm. not a fake one or whatever i you know it's funny you actually know what glenn beck is up to lately i mean like the last time i listened to or watched anything from glenn beck he did not have white hair which oh, i'm uh, pretty yeah. sure is a long time ago so i've <laughs> i don't know how old glenn is doing <laughs> you know I, I i pay attention to all of the politics and stuff like that and you know sometimes it it drives you crazy but you know i, I still pay attention to it i still listen to the talking heads and and guys that are on, you know, the the Republican or Libertarian perspective, you know, that that maybe I wouldn't consider actually Libertarian or, you know, following it to its logical conclusion or anything like that. I still listen to them. I still pay attention. I, I still like hearing the conversations that, that people have about it. So from constitutionalist to Libertarian, uh, right. a few months, a year, a couple of years, what was that? What was that transition like? I think it was pretty quick um, because they're not that you know, far growing, away. They're really not. And, and growing up already kind of in that perspective of, you know, the Republican stuff, you know, you've already got all that language there, you know, like liberty and the Constitution <laughs> and, and freedom and, and all that sort of stuff, which can have different perspectives and different definitions depending on where you come from, but all that stuff's already kind of there. So it's really just fixing your definition so that it's consistent. So I, I go into it, you know, thinking, yeah, I love Liberty. Well, what does Liberty actually look like? Does it, does it look like, you know, all of these, these laws that we have and all of these um, victimless crimes and things like that? Well, no, it doesn't, you know, maybe I don't like some of these things. Maybe they're, they're morally questionable, but having laws against it, well, that, that doesn't look like liberty to me. That doesn't look like mm -hmm. a strict definition of liberty. Then you start becoming more consistent, right? And then um, you apply it to things like the Constitution and you say, well, uh, I don't think it's right for, uh, you know, this piece of paper to give someone the uh, authority over someone else for, you know, a victimless crime or the ability to confiscate land and, you know, confiscate money and property. So I'm then getting more and more into, you know, the, the Lysander Spooner camp of things, you know, where I'm not giving the constitution that sort of, um, <laughs> holy standing, you know, as mm -hmm, some sort of mm -hmm. sacred text. 
And uh, from there, it just becomes being more and more consistent, not necessarily with a piece of text like the the Constitution and the way that I'm kind of looking at it, mm-hmm. but just being more consistent with the philosophy of liberty and things like that. Have you ever noticed that constitutionalists who call themselves libertarians, and again, I'm not saying they're not libertarian because they very well may really value the Constitution, but do you ever notice that they're in conversations with people like you and me and we say things like the Constitution is wrong mm-hmm. and they just, they like tilt their head and look at you like, what What do you, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, it's almost as if they believe... Again, I'm sort of just, I'm projecting my thoughts here, so I'm not Mm -hmm. accusing anybody, but it's almost as if they believe that libertarianism couldn't exist without the founding fathers of the United States. Sure, yeah. Like, it started there, and if it weren't for them, we wouldn't have any libertarian philosophy at all. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it really does kind of show the way that we're brought up with not even understanding where Thomas Jefferson got his ideas from, you know? And, And when you do start getting into that and looking at the history of, Locke and Smith and all those guys. And it becomes a much bigger conversation. It becomes a much bigger concept than, um, you know, 1776, you know, and right, and that's right. kind of where it all starts right there. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but also to, to be fair, um, we were all there at some point, you know, most people are not born into anarchism or consistent libertarianism or however we want to phrase it. Most people are not born into that, and we do have to come out of it. And so, like we started this conversation, I was not at all where I am. I was far from where I am, you know, when I was younger. So I try to be uh, charitable and use the things that I've learned and the steps that I took going this direction, try to use that to then have a conversation where instead of arguing, you can walk people through your your philosophy. Yeah. Have you convinced anybody in your family, like your wider family to join you in your journey to freedom? Yeah, I, I'd say that I have. I, I've, but uh, it, it wouldn't be, I guess, uh, solely me, you know, where we just had this conversation and we came from two different perspectives and I completely thoroughly changed them. Uh, I think that the people within my family that we do have you know, similar opinions or the same opinions. Um, we're all kind of going that way together. Uh, I think just looking at the way that social issues and political issues, the way that those issues have kind of been trending over the, you know, the last decade, mm-hmm. I think we are all already kind of moving that direction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I find it, you know, with, with family for me, my side of the family and my like my my wife's side of the family we live near we live near them, and they are a little bit more amenable to my views. My f- side of the family is more like we don't really talk about it too much. My my father is pretty sentimental about the United States and very patriotic. And you know when I really get to know why he is that way, it's all really solid reasons that we would be like, we'd nod our heads and hear his stories and be like, Oh, okay. We know why you love your country. That, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not, a, I mean, he's a, he's a godly man and he's not worshiping the state, right? It's not that right. sort of blind faith or whatever. Now I have disagreements with him about certain things. We did not vote for the same people, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're on different sides of the spectrum. So yeah, they, we, we just don't talk about it. You know, I get few conversations with the other side of the family, 
you know, from time to time and they, they want to know, you know, what's the libertarian angle on things. And, and this just making it broader to like people who just know that you're a libertarian. They're like, Oh, Hey, you know, like I, I met somebody they're like, Oh, it was a, let's see, it was 20, 2016. They're like, Oh, you have someone to vote for this year. Like talking about Gary Johnson. I'm like, <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, <laughs> I could have voted for, Someone last time too, like had Ron Paul in 2008 <laughs> or 2012, I guess 2008 as well. But I could have written, you know, I don't even know what I did in 2008 now that I'm thinking about it. But anyway, I always have someone to vote for. It's like, but she meant like, oh, you have a major candidate. So it's like this thing that made the news that there's like a candidate mm-hmm. that we could vote for. And like the the extent to which most people think about politics is electoral politics. And mm-hmm. I'm going to guess, and we can talk about this that you think that engagement in politics is way more broad than just like the electoral politics that most people think of when you say the word being political. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think that there's a few, you know, different things that we can consider being political if we're just being activist or if we're, you know, voting to change it from the inside. And, and of course I have my, my personal beliefs, as to what's actually legitimate and what's actually going to to work and and um, which isn't much, <laughs> but when it comes to voting and when it comes to participating, I do take a very uh, moral stance there, which I, I think a lot of the politics uh, tends to trend that way when we talk. But um, you know, just knowing that you can't vote for the lesser of two evils. You know, and we, we hear that all the time and we can't let that be our determining factor. We can't let that be our guidance on how we're going to do things. You know, we've got to look at it from a more consistent angle. And, um, and if we're, you know, we're talking within the Christian context here, I don't think that Christians should be voting for an evil at all. So I think that there's a good discussion to be had with voting for, defensive reasons. You know, I understand that. I understand uh, voting on in local elections for different taxes and stuff that are going to be levied in your county or in your city. I understand those things. But when it comes to voting and, and talking politics, most people are just concerned with the the major presidential election every four years. And uh, with that, I just, I think that there's always a possibility of having somebody uh, try to run that's uh, consistent with all that stuff, but um, it's uh, few and far between. And like the comment that, that you just had, people look at someone being able to get on the ballots as uh, that being sort of um, legitimizing that person's stance when really it should just be the consistency to our rhetoric. So I hope that answered your question. Sometimes I tend to ramble a little bit. <laughs> but Doug, I am interested in, you know, your opinion. I know you've been doing this for a little while. You've talked to a lot of people. What are some of your opinions on, you know, just being involved in politics or just voting and, you know, those sorts of things that that are part of the conversation here? Yeah. I mean, I I do vote, but my reasons for voting have to do with social capital and, you know, I do, I do freelance work, but I have one client where I work closely with this one person and 
uh, she's like really big into voting and she, she's, uh, she's Republican and she's pretty proud about it, but she's really into voting. You'd think she is like, you know, people on the left are like voting, 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 super important. Like she's big like that. And, uh, she asked me one time, she's like, well, did you vote? And I'm like, well, it wouldn't do me any good. Like it wouldn't change anything. Like if I had stayed home versus going, there's no difference in the outcome. And she just looks at me befuddled and she's all frustrated. And eventually when I told her I actually went, you know, I told tell her all these like reasons why it's just like irrelevant for me to vote. Like it doesn't matter. I actually am endangering people by having putting more traffic on the road because I would have to drive to the, my polls. I <laughs> could be more effective using, you know, spending time with my kids. I actually don't know any of the candidates really well because this is a midterm election or whatever the reasons might be. And then she's like, well, did you vote? And I'm like, well, yeah, I went, I voted. And she's like, well, why did you vote if you told me all that you just told me? And I'm like, well, honestly, it's just easier to tell people I voted than to take all this time to explain to them why I didn't. <laughs> like, and it seriously is like on my way home from work or whatever. It, the poll's not that far away. So it's like literally just pulling off the side of the road. It's usually not that busy. It takes me like all of seven minutes and it's like, you know, whatever. So I, I humorously do it so that I don't have to explain to people why I don't. And I know that sounds kind of strange, but I have no pretense that what I'm doing changes things. I do get in the voting booth and I think, oh, this is kind of nice to vote for libertarian. Like last time I voted straight libertarian ticket uh, in the midterm. It was a midterm. So it, you know, it's kind of nice to do that. But do I think anything's changing? No, I think what I am put on this earth to do is raise my kids, influence the people that are in my 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 church uses the, they use the Greek word oikos, which is like the eight to fifteen people that you have like strong ties to. Um, so I was about to use that word, and you, we we were talking about language earlier, and I'm like, well, I don't know how many people would have known if I'd thrown out the word oikos, <laughs> but uh, that that's a really good word. But anyway, uh, you know, influence the people that I have influence on, and and make the world a better place. I mean, you, I, I have a moral obligation, I think, to do the best amount of good that I can, and if going to the polls takes away from that. Um, you know, to be an informed citizen, it might take me more than just the seven minutes I mentioned to just pull over and vote. So maybe I was making a morally poor choice, but you know, I don't, I don't think so because I'm fairly well informed, but you know, I think in for Christians, see, I have always had a hard time. I wouldn't say a hard time, but I've always found it that all the things that I think about as a libertarian I can't separate that from my Christianity. It's just tough to do. I mean, I grew up mm -hmm. in the church. I grew up in a way that, um, you know, like there were, there were morals that you uphold and I still hold on to like almost like most of them, I would say. And, and I don't mean like individual behavior morals, but like there are things that which God expects of us. Like the, God expects us to treat each other with love. God expects us to treat each other nonviolently. You know, God expects you know, things from us. And so when I think of obligations to other people in society, I think some of that gets sneaked in. My Christian side of things gets sneaked in when I talk about things from a libertarian perspective. So sometimes when I'm arguing with people who don't buy into the Christian values, I have a hard time switching to non-Christian libertarian argumentation. But in any case, I would say that as Christians, I think it's pretty important that we engage our world in such a way that we, I know this sounds pretty cliche, but like we leave it a better place. Um, and, <laughs> and, and I think that we, and that's like the soft version of it, right? The, the harder version is how do we build for the kingdom as Tom Wright would put it. 
how do we build for the kingdom that we're here to preach? How do we establish God's will on earth as it is in heaven? You know, because there's not, there's so much that we can be doing that is just about ourselves, that is just about like me and my little space. And I think there's, I think the libertarian argument of rugged individualism or not rugged, I wouldn't even put that on it, but like even just individualism is important. But at the same time, there is a togetherness aspect that we have to acknowledge. And I think libertarians would be served well to talk about that. And I think that my, like I'm a libertarian for the sake of other people. And I mean that in a couple ways. One is I call myself a libertarian. Like I, I'm not again, to use a specific item here instead of rambling on with trying to be abstract about it. Um, I'm going to violate, <laughs> I'm going to violate a principle here and say that I don't personally I mean, I do and I don't, but like, it's not the biggest thing in the world for me to write that check on April 15th to pay my taxes. But you know what is really important to me is that there are people in this world who have to pay taxes that shouldn't have to pay taxes. And I mean, that's everybody. Okay. So don't get me wrong. I don't want anybody to pay taxes, but like, I don't want to be paying the government so that it can rob other people of things. Okay. If what I'm paying for, so to speak, by writing a tax check is things that we would like typically economists would call like public goods and stuff. Okay. That that's a very tiny portion of what we would actually be paying for. But what I'm really writing that check for is to actually harm other people. And that's the reason why I don't like those things. So, mm-hmm. um, so that, that's one thing. It's like, I'm a libertarian for the sake of other people. And then there's the, the broader thing. It's like, well, I'm a libertarian because I know that poor people need mar- need freer markets than they're getting. And it's not really about me. Like I can personally suffer the tax burden, but other people cannot suffer the burden of government. Maybe that's probably the like most succinct way of putting it. And mm-hmm. so like I'm I'm not well off, but I'm fortunate enough to be blessed in life to where I don't feel like I have to worry where my next meal is coming from or anything like that. And so there are people in in the world who who don't have that luxury and security and the government in so many ways is prohibiting them from improving their own lives or they're actively, you know, keeping them pressed down. So anyway, that's, that's kind of like my take on it. It's like, I want to be a libertarian because I, there is a leave me alone aspect to it for me, but I see it as sort of like an outpouring of my calling to live in the world in such a way that it enhances the lives of others too. Yeah, I think that that definitely gets right into that conversation of what is going to help the poor, what is going to be better for society and and all that stuff. You know, is it government? Is it voluntary interactions with each other? And yes, I 100% agree that, you know, voluntary interactions with, with each other will be better. It will provide better to you and the ones around you and people that are impoverished. And then also, I started thinking about the uh, other aspect of that. And um, it's just the idea of government as coercive at all. And, um, you know, when we say that we don't mind it if the if the government were to actually provide those those resources or those things for the people who need it. So there's the one aspect of how can it be done better. But then there's also the other aspect of should this be 
coerced at all. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's really where I think I come from with a lot of my feelings and my discussions on it is that it shouldn't be coerced at all. Even if you could give me a story of of how the government has provided, you know, X percent better this or that, mm-hmm. you know, and we could get into a whole conversation of how it could be provided better in the private market. But I'm I'm probably going to get stuck in that conversation of it shouldn't be coerced at all. You know, it, it should be voluntary interactions. At no point, especially if we're going to call ourselves Christians, should we be forcing people to give up their wealth and their property and their lives because the government says so, because we acting on behalf of the government says so. Yeah, I think the question of how do we live together is like, it kind of touches on this. It's like, well, you know, you talk about you know, you're in a group of people, you know, maybe you're stranded on an island and you know you're always going to be together and you're going to have to proliferate this island and you got to come up with laws, et cetera, et cetera. And you think, well, what's the best way to do this? And you think, oh, well, we should use a little bit of violence and make people do certain things because, well, I just know that if we don't make people do X, Y, and Z or whatever, then we won't have a functioning society. And like, you know, on the face of it, it's like, well, that's a terrible way to look at things. Like, (laughs) like, do you really want violence? And yet at the same time, I've had conversations with full-blown, like, well, I wouldn't call them consistent, but full-blown pacifists. Like, they believe in nonviolence in a personal way, in a national way, etc. And as a libertarian, I'll say things like, well, you're not really a pacifist because you actually believe that the government should harm people who disobey the laws that you think should be enforced. And they just are like, that's not the way it works. Like, because democracy, I mean, that's really like the the answer. (laughs) It's like, well, because you have a right to vote or the opportunity to vote. And whether you did or not is up to you, but you had the opportunity to vote and therefore the laws are binding on you, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work that way in my mind. Like I didn't have the opportunity to to kind of consent to that. Like the, the whole idea of consent, I think is, I think we need to talk about that term a lot more. I think it might resonate more with people on the left because if you have this ethic of consent, then what does it mean for a group of people to consent to something? Because I mean, even Fr- Frederick Bastiat, you know, he writes about law can be, you know, people can band together to create a law that's for common values because it would be more effective or just out of their own desire, they want to do this to protect like their collective property or, you know, to ensure each other, you know, through some sort of like mutual mutualism. And so I, I think there's, I think there's room for that. But, you know, I, I want to get your take on something because this is, this is, I think, where I am in the questioning of what do we argue for? What is our rhetoric as libertarians or as anarchists? You know, I would like a world, and, and I'll start it off this way. I believe that there's nothing the free market can't provide that's not better than the government. I think I said that logically right, right? So like any any solution... It might have to be a little long time in coming or it might take a little bit more to like evolve into like the better solution per se. But like I don't think any top down solution is going to be better than a bottom up solution or or a mark. I should say a market based solution. So coercion is never going to achieve a better outcome than freedom. Let's okay. So there's like three ways I just sort of put it. So we'll start with that. Mm. Yet at the same time, we don't have the opportunity right now. Okay, 
in the next 200 years, we might have the opportunity to colonize another planet or something like that. But that's still way far off and we're not even there. It's not even realistic to discuss. But So we don't have the... We don't have the opportunity to shape the world that we want. So you and I would like a world where people were completely non-coercive and they disavowed coercive means of law enforcement, right? Like that's what Mm -hmm. you probably would agree with. Mm -hmm. But that's not on the table. Like what's on the table is a little bit more or a little bit less immigration. Uh, What's on the table is do we have Medicare for all? What's on the table is, and in terms of national conversation, I don't mean specific political things. Right. You know, what what we have on the table is thankfully uh, legalization of at least marijuana. Okay. And so there's just all these like things that are like they're now being discussed. And I, I want to get your take, like, what do we argue for? And and I mean, I don't mean political agenda, but just the winning the hearts and minds aspect of things. Because you can win people's minds on, well, yeah, we should have this free society where, you know, like in Kapistan, right? Um, mm-hmm. we, we should have this free society, but like, we're, we're not going to get there. You and I are really not going to see that. Um, right. Not at least in a nonviolent way. Like we might get there if there's like an apocalyptic scenario and now they're, you know, like the survivors all <laughs> happen to be preppers and also libertarian and they decide out of, you know, commitment to their ethics. They're not going to form a new state, but like, come on, like that's okay. Yeah. That's getting a little out there. But anyway, what, what do you think <laughs> my, my ramblings here? Uh, no, I, I think that these are all good thoughts um, because you, you're right. I'm, I'm much more of a pessimist where I don't think that any of the beliefs that I have are going to be fully realized and, and acted on. And, you know, even if I were to put a percentage on it, I'd say like even half of it, you know, um, yeah, there are there are little things that are happening where we are seeing, like you mentioned, the legalization of marijuana, where we're seeing it seen all the way through in some situations where it's recreational rather than just medical and you have to have a license for mm-hmm. it and things like that. You know, that's those are those are not fully realizing the liberty aspect in this one small conversation. How many people have you heard, well, we should, we should legalize it and that way we get more government revenue because it would be taxed. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, you know? no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not why we should legalize it. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and you know, that is where I like to stay in the conversation with, you know, sticking with that, not getting into the pragmatic sense of where we can make things just a little bit better. Let's, let's have a conversation on staying consistent to our ideals of, of liberty. And, you know, I, Again, I don't think that, you know, we're going to see, like you said, we're not going to see in Kapistan. We're probably not even going to see that crazy, you know, sci-fi moment that's going to, you know, that could cause, like you said, you know, like all your preppers, you know, friends get together. You know, we're not going to see probably any of that. But I do think it is still valuable to have that conversation with people and to, you know, fully recognize our, you know, commitment to being consistent with these ideas like liberty and, and freedom and non-aggression and, and, you know, all of those concepts that um, are kind of wrapped up into, you know, our, into our terms like anarchism and, yeah. um, and liberty and libertarian. Yeah. I think the word consistent is really important there. I mean, and, and I think what I hear you saying is like there, there are core principles that regardless of how far we'll get in 
the actuality of libertarianism, ver, you know, like a free, a free society versus all the way, you know, that, that could mm-hmm. be, you know, what we kind of reminisce about in the past where there were fewer tariffs and so forth to like the Ancapistan stuff. Like there's a whole spectrum of what we could consider. Yeah, this is a pretty free society. Um, whether we, how far we push that envelope is one thing, but the principles are still solid and kind of like our North Star, if you will, to talk yeah. a little bit about space travel somehow. <laughs> yeah, I think that the the likelihood of our ideals happening should not be what determines our ideals. You know, it, yeah. it shouldn't it shouldn't, determine, shouldn't drive us. Yes, absolutely. You know, what should drive us is that persistence continuing to go toward being consistent with our ideals with our ideal of, you know, non-coercion and non-aggression, mm-hmm. um, all, all of those things. I think that that is what we should be constantly striving for, not striving for uh, pragmatism and not striving for the lesser of two evils. What are some of your favorite issues to talk about and to sort of advance when it comes to anarchism or libertarianism? That's a good one. Uh, you know, I guess it just depends. The, the other day I was uh, I was at a barbecue and, um, you know, just kind of had one of those unique moments where uh, talking with someone who was not necessarily, you know, in, in the same, wasn't of the same beliefs as myself when it comes to politics and stuff like that. But I had one of those unique moments where I got to really use some of those frustrations that all of us share with property taxes and, um different sorts of uh, laws against victimless crimes and things like that. And being able to have a good conversation, not a a yelling and screaming match, but having a good conversation about those things, about the consistencies in our liberty and Republican rhetoric, being able to show, you know, are we actually striving for liberty? Are we actually talking about the same thing here? And um, I, I like those conversations a lot. Again, conversations, not not arguments. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. What what would I, you do? You um, go ahead if you were going to say something there. Oh, well, I was just going to add. Uh, you know, I I like those moments where someone is thinking about that, and they and they've never thought about it before because I, I was there once. You know, and I listened to you know, Tom Woods, or I read a Rothbard book, and and I had that moment where it's like, oh, you know what, I haven't actually believed in liberty. You know, if I was saying, oh, yeah, we should uh, only legalize marijuana a little bit, and and we should tax it, and we should run the government off of, you know, the taxes from it, you know, uh, having those moments where someone sits back and says, oh, you know, I hadn't thought of it like that. You know, I, I like those moments. I think people do appreciate consistency when you, or, or even thoroughness, you know, like seeking out, you know, when they see people who have sort of consistent values and they have an opportunity to hear what those are, I think they're impressed because I think a lot of, and again, I don't want to, you know, claim this for everybody, but like a lot of people have a lot of ad hoc beliefs about politics and that it's not it's not a consistent ethic. Right. Yeah, it's definitely our side versus your side, right versus left. And it's built a lot on fear 
of the other side. And that goes, I mean, that goes for both sides. You know, the, the right is afraid of that. The left is going to take their guns and the left is afraid that the, you know, the ice caps are going to melt. And, you know, it's just, and it's always this, this intense fear that I, I, I think really drives a lot of it and makes people just so polarized. Was that a pun on intentionally? <laughs> no, that was not. <laughs> My brain is wired. I'm a dad. And so, you know, dad jokes just, right. just spill out all the time. Um, <laughs> it's funny how it doesn't when I'm doing a podcast typically, because I think we'd have, I don't know if we'd have more listeners or fewer listeners or not. But so um, one time, uh, when LCI had an executive treat, uh, Norman Horn came and visited me and we had a meetup in my area because Norman doesn't live near me. And uh, we played this game. One of the attendees, Matt, uh, suggested this as libertarians. And he said, all right, I want to so we get to know each other. There was like 10 of us in the room. And he's like, what would be like the least libertarian thing that you hold to? Like we would kick you off the island if we knew you believed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one I, I had two. Outside of NASA, I, I'm okay with NASA, sort of. <laughs> like, I, I do realize that, yeah, uh, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk will probably, you know, we that would be sufficient. But anyway, um, <laughs> but I, I have two. I wanna, I'll let you go first, though. Do you have any beliefs that you're like, privately, you're like, you know, I'm okay that the government does this, or, you know, or it, I'd be okay if they passed a law that X, Y, or Z? <laughs> No, I'd like to to think that I'm completely consistent in everything, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I'm sure someone might be able to find somewhere where I'm not. But um, I really do operate in that the government should just be completely out of everything. And I'm talking even jump into the big ones like, you know, defense. I think that it could be better handled with private organizations and you know even. even defense. If if we're talking just for your property and mm-hmm. we're kind of imagining these maybe larger communal sort of, a uh, you know, voluntarist areas, not, not communism or whatever, but, you know, where people are kind of banded together. And, um, you know, I think that some of those big ones, those big ones that people are really scared about, you know, um, with society just completely falling apart mm-hmm. uh, internally or, uh, you know, a threat from a foreign invasion. I really do think that all of that stuff can be handled privately. Wow. Okay. So the the next phase of that question was, well, if if you don't have any beliefs, you're like totally, you know, ideologically a purist, which sounds like you are. <laughs> and I guess I, I figured I would be too. But like, are there any that without being too personal, is there anything that you're actually guilty of? Like, do you happen to work for the state? Or do you happen to accept subsidies just by virtue of your job or something? You don't have to, you know, admit to either of those, but just like anything in your life, you're like, crap. I guess the state does support me a little tiny bit. Yeah, I don't think that I have anything like that, but that actually is a good question because I am in favor of, you know, I I think taxation is theft, right? And so if there's any sort of way that you can get that back, uh, I'm I'm okay with that, you know? I'm okay with, um, you know, accepting a a tax rebate or something like that, you know, which um, I'm sure someone considered, you know, themselves even more ideologically pure than mm-hmm. than me, that they could point a finger, I mean, you know, with that one. But, um, you know, I understand that there are people, I've, I've had friends that are of the same belief as me, but they take contracts with either city or state organizations. And it is the way that it is right now. 
So I don't like harp on them or anything like that. You know, I, I don't, I don't think that that would be uh, beneficial at all to, yeah. you know, their life or our friendship or, and I'm glad that I'm not actually in a position where I'm having to do those things. Um, and maybe my opinion would change if I was, um, I don't know. Uh, but I'm not currently in a position where I need to, to do anything like that. And, um, I don't, I don't really get on people's backs for, you know, having to be a part of that. If they, if they've already been part of a contract with the state or, or any sort of like government mm-hmm, agency mm-hmm. and they, they've, they see it through to the end, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get on people about that. Yeah. Right. I, I think it would, for me on that, on that angle of like doing contract work with the government, it'd be like, well, is your whole business model based on getting government contracts and getting as much as you want? Or is it just so happened that what you do, the government needed you to do jo- do a project or something? You know, like there's kind of a varying degrees. But that's just speaking in the abstract. It, and it, a lot of it is in the abstract. And, and I would say that if you were already, uh, you know, an, an anarchist and you were going out and getting government contracts, well, yeah, that's not consistent, you know. But, um, you know, just someone who's a libertarian and, and might you know, hold some contracts like that or might currently be within one when they, you know, make that jump from, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. minarchist to anarchist or something like that. You know, um, I'm not going to get onto them for, for seeing it through and then, and then getting, you know, and once they're done with that contract, never, never holding one again, you know, I, of course that I think would be the better option. Yeah. I think I would ban smoking. <laughs> I, it's so crazy to me that I would actually say that. Um, but I, you know, I say that tongue in cheek, whereas, you know, it's funny, like for many years, that was kind of my, like, I think that's the law I would hold on to. Like, ba- so basically I see it this way. Like I go, I, I live in Pennsylvania and I remember as a kid when Maryland, uh, which is where, um, I went to school in Maryland when I was younger. And I remember when they made a law where all restaurants could not be smoking. Like they couldn't have a smoking and non-smoking section anymore. I mean, I was, I remember Mm -hmm. those days, like, do you want smoking or non-smoking? And I, you know, as an older kid, I remember that never happened in Maryland after a while. And I remember thinking like later, like, I I think I'm okay with those laws because, you know, I don't like them. And, And again, it's just like a little tiny thing. Um, but if I were to institute something that everyone should have to follow, I would actually bring back like Sabbath laws. Um, (laughs) I think they're, they would just be so good that like once everyone does them for a year, no one would ever complain again. Like, and I say that very strongly. I'm, I'm, if you saw me say this in person, I have a little twinkle in my eye and a smile on my face, (laughs) but, um, I'm just like, I think everyone just needs to slow down, you know? there is just something about stopping. And I think that whole Sabbath principle is really in play. Now, no, I don't think literally we should do that, but um, th- those would be my two like vices, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, no, I understand that. And of course, you know, if, if we were really having a, like a back and forth debate on, on that, you know, I'd, I would go back to the same principles you've already said about, you know, how the, the private sector can, you know, do things better and, you know, we can, better influence people through, you know, through word of mouth or through publications rather than through legislation. And of course, you know, because I'm the anarchist and, you know, I can say that, you know, laws against smoking, you know, that violates private property, you know, that violates, you know, our libertarian principles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And for someone who also gets very frustrated with the blue laws, uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> where I live. Oh yeah. You know, those that is just uh that is a pain. Uh yeah, I I do agree. <laughs> I mean, I'm just admitting some vulnerabilities here. <laughs> yeah. No, so, and that and that's what makes it for a good conversation though. Is kind of looking at some of those things where we do appreciate some of these ideals that the state has then used its, you know, heavy hands to enforce, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe we we wouldn't want the state to enforce that, you know, and try to have those conversations about how it can still happen. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you've been running your podcast, the Anarcho-Christian podcast, for quite a while now. And you, what's been the feedback you've gotten in the audience uh, response for that? Um, it's all been very good, uh, you know, for the most part. You know, I'm sure you doing, you know, LCI and having the podcast and the website and the Facebook pages that I'm sure you, you see your, your fair share of, mm. of um, you know, hate mail or any of those sorts of things. But uh, for the most part, it's been very positive, Um, you know, within our libertarian community. It's been mostly positive. Of course, you're going to have people that don't like the idea of the the Christian aspect being associated with anarchism. You have your arguments, you know, between left versus right still, even within anarchism, you know, capitalism versus communism and that sort of thing. But for the most part, it's been great. Uh, the feedback from the website, feedback from the podcast and uh, the Facebook page and all that good stuff, it's been very good. It's uh, It's been surprising, actually. Now, I started this this whole thing just a, a few years ago and just kind of a as a place to, to vent from or just to throw out some ideas because there's not a lot out there for Christian anarchism. And... Um, not expecting it to to grow the way that it has really oh that's really cool i mean i've i've appreciated your podcast and you know i've heard you i think you were on mike meharry's show um as well mm-hmm. which is how i was introduced to you actually um and then i went okay. back and listened to some of your episodes because i know i know mike and he's been on we, we did a joint podcast uh, about a year ago talking about alexandria ocasio-cortez mm-hmm. um so that was fun but uh yeah i i think I'm really glad to hear that that's that's worked well for you. I mean, social media is kind of it's like a jungle, um, mm-hmm. and it is sometimes you know you get hate mail from like all sides, and you know for for LCI we probably get the most like negative feedback from people. I think the way I would describe it is like people who think they're libertarians because they hold to a few core values, but they don't have the and I'm not putting them down by saying this, but they don't have the consistent ethic going on. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so think more like the conservative warmongers who, you know, you talked to very, very beginning of this conversation about, you know, you had all the language there, like freedom and liberty and rights and property and all this other stuff. And they think that like, but. if that's, but yeah, but yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, but if we don't have a strong national defense, yeah. <laughs> then then that's all gone. So we have to have a strong national defense and, and a right. big military and we we are the world's policemen, like it or not, and all this other stuff. Like I think that's where we get the most reaction. Or uh the people who are I personally I've seen them called borderitarians. Um <laughs> and uh so you know, they're just kind of like they they don't use libertarian principles to describe 
you know, that. So anyway, we get it from that end. I mean, do you get, do you get more like hate mail from people who are more like left-leaning or right-leaning or where does that come from for you? And and hate mail could just be like negative feedback. I don't actually mean spreading right. hate mail. Well, you know, and I, I do get kind of a, a mix of it, you know, if it's just comments on, you know, the Facebook page or comments on uh, any of the content that we put out there or, you know, emails or whatever. I want to say for the most, it's probably mainly from what would be considered the right. I I really don't care for the left versus right sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Those but, labels aren't as helpful to you. <laughs> but I, but they do make sense. And and I'm sure everyone listening, if I say they, that this came from the right or came from the left, it, it I think instantly we, we have a pretty good idea of what I'm talking about. But um, I think like what you're just saying uh, from the right, uh, the... I'm a libertarian or I, I believe in liberty and freedom, but, you know, but, but the, the defense and, but if we legalize marijuana, then everyone is just going to turn into a drug addict, you know, and stuff like that. I, I think that that's a big one, you know, something that we touch on a lot. And I don't know if this is going to be taboo for the show, but the pro-life aspect, you know, that's a big conversation in Christianity. Mm-hmm. And that's one that, you know, in Christ- a wait, lot of people in Christianity. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. That, that's that's one that Can you um, elaborate a little bit on that? Uh the pro-life thing? Well, the, that it's that it, I know it, that it's a big conversation within Christianity. It's a big conversation. Yeah, like yeah. that that's slightly shocking that you said that as opposed to a big conversation in anarchism and libertarianism. Ah, uh, yeah. So you know, and it is kind of difficult to 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 after a couple of years of this, you know, doing this Christian anarchism, you know, kind of finding where some of the different uh, voices are coming from that are, you know, speaking against, against whatever message we're putting out there. But, you know, as far as the, you know, the kind of the right side is concerned, you know, we, we have to have government legislation to end abortion, you know, and then from the left side, it's typically the pro-choice aspect. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of Christian denominations or sub denominations that are, you know, completely in favor of pro-choice. That's probably not the loudest position. I'd say that, you know, pro-life is the loudest position within Christianity, but you'll, you'll get a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of different voices in that. And whenever we do post something about, you know, pro-life, yeah, we'll, we'll hear it from, you know, from all sides. And um, if someone says that, well, you know, you're pro-life and there's automatically this uh, assumption that you mean that you want the government to, you know, completely control, you know, every aspect of it and things are going to be fixed through legislation, which, you know, isn't that, you know, it's just like we've talked about before with this, it's just getting back to that consistent moral position, mm-hmm. you know, and if we're talking, I guess, you know, science and trying to understand when life begins or if we're talking about libertarian philosophy of protecting life, liberty, and property, you know, what exactly does that mean? And, um, yeah, that, that one is, um, I think very controversial Mm. and brings out a lot of, uh, emotion. Mm. You know, for LCI, we will post a lot of things on Facebook and we've written a lot about this issue. And by we, I mean like we've had writers on here and I'm about to put a plug in for something here in a moment. But the pushback that we get that are pro-choice are for people who aren't aren't Christians 
or like they stumble upon us or they, you know, they, they like something else that we posted that might be anti-war. But, you know, it's interesting. Like I, that was, I think that was why it was surprising me is like, we don't get a whole lot of Christians who say, oh yeah, well, I think abortion is okay. Like there, there's like, I'm thinking of one who's in our Facebook group and they are pro-choice, but for the most part, we don't get a lot from Christians who like defend the pro-choice stance. And I'm not sure if that's like, I don't really know what to attribute that to. That's interesting. Yeah. uh, There's a few uh, denominations that I think are in general pro-choice. I think that there's even been a couple of recent splits within a a few denominations recently. And uh, I think um, the ELCA uh, Lutherans, I believe, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe is, um, you know, pretty open to that. I think that the Methodist church has mm-hmm. had some uh, shakeups, you know, yep. dealing with that. Uh, so, and I think that there's a couple of more that yeah. uh, they're escaping me, but you know, it's, it's definitely a conversation that's being held within Christianity right now that, yeah, at one point in time, it was just a um, Christian versus, you know, secular conversation, but it's uh, definitely in the church and yeah. making divisions right now. Yeah, I mean, I, the most of the leftist people that I have conversed with are sort of like reluctantly accepting that abortion needs to exist. Like, it's not like they think it should exist, but it's like we lament that it has to exist as a procedure and that there are reasons for it. And of course, some people will abuse this, but I, you know, I don't really hear them out too much on the argument. But yeah. Um, so what I was going to plug a moment ago was Carrie Baldwin's debate against Walter Block. Did you get to see it? It was posted online recently. I have not watched that yet. And um, I have heard Carrie's uh, various podcast episodes that she's done and, mm-hmm. and read some stuff she's written on it. But I haven't had a chance to watch that yet. Yeah, I had I had the pleasure of being there during the debate itself. And it was it was really cool to see the the amiable nature between them. And I mean, you <laughs> You, you wouldn't see it. Well, I don't even know if you'd see this in the video because Walter wasn't necessarily on camera when Carrie was making her arguments, but you could see him like furling his eyebrows and being like thinking really hard about what she just said. And, and she was doing the same, but it's just, it's just really cool to see like somebody get up there like Carrie and just like make Walter block stump a little bit, you know, like it, it's just really cool. And I don't mean that in some sort of like pompous way. It's just like, it's really good to see somebody have a conversation at his level and get him to think and give her lots and lots of kudos. Um, there was a point in the debate where like they were agreeing on so many things back and forth. And finally he was <laughs> like, I guess I'm going to have to deprive you of the pleasure of agreeing with Miss Baldwin <laughs> on this next point. Cause it was kind of a funny moment, but anyway, it's really, really good because it, I think it elevated the debate about abortion to something that libertarians can like, dig a little deeper into when we talk about things and be consistent with them. And so that's my, you know, my kind of memory of the the debate is like, this is something worthy of like really watching again and kind of hearing the argument, because I think there was a whole lot of things that Carrie said that were ignored by Walter, not because he couldn't address it, but because it was like, it was so, you can't address everything. I mean, you have these, these debates are timed and you know, they're very structured and rigid. And so he couldn't debate everything, but like, man, it's, I, I want to see them have a longer conversation. Maybe some podcaster mm-hmm. will do that. Maybe we should do that. Um, but yeah, 
So yeah, no, good conversations are really, really important. Um, and if you have mutual respect, and, and that's sometimes tough to do because you know you're sometimes having conversation with somebody you're just like thinks an idiot about whatever immigration, war, Trump, you know, whatever it might be. You know, it's sometimes hard to have mutual respect for people, but if you treat them with mutual respect, you have you have a good conversation. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. And as Christians, we should do that. That should be kind of in the forefront uh, going into any sort of conversation. And then also, I, I think I mentioned it earlier, but just keeping in mind that you might have come from that position before. Mm-hmm. You know, so we don't want to make the mistake of getting to this completely consistent position and then just slamming everybody that has a different position. And when we do go into those conversations with respect and love, then I think that we're going to have those conversations where we can actually sway people because you're not going to sway them by yelling at them on Facebook and stuff like that. It's just, it's not going to happen, you know, but when you do go into the conversation, understanding where they're coming from, because you probably came from there too, and having that respect, then yeah, uh, there's a good chance that maybe not that day, maybe not the next day, but later on down the road, they're going to be, you know, going down that same journey that you went down, you know, getting to that completely consistent position. Steve, I think that's a perfect place to end this conversation. Thanks for, uh, thanks for, thanks for doing this. This has been like a real pleasure for me. Um, this is a little longer than our normal, normal episodes, but I'm really glad we got the time to do this. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. I've been a big fan of your podcast. I appreciate you inviting me on here and I hope we can do it again. I'm sure we will. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Hey, podcast listeners. Since you like listening to audio content, we wanted to let you know about a new audiobook titled Called to Freedom, Why You Can Be Christian and Libertarian. It's read by me, Jacqueline Isaacs, one of the contributing authors of the book, and every download helps to support the Libertarian Christian Institute. To learn more and to download the audiobook today, go to calltofreedombook.com.